Hello and welcome along to the RT Rugby Podcast. We are back with you to recap the big news around the BKT United Rugby Championship. Loads to get through today. Another big Interpro to look back on from last week. We've got transfer news, a big retirement from the URC as well, and some big games as well this weekend. To do all of that, uh, delighted to be joined by Johnny Holland this week. Johnny, welcome. Thanks again. No, thanks for having me once again. Yeah, it's good to good to have you on. You do your column weekly on a, on a Tuesday, but it is nice to have you on every now and again, and we can flesh out some of those details and call you up on a few things as well. But we'll uh, we'll get into that. We oh, will no. start. We'll get straight into it. We'll start up in Belfast, Ulster twenty one, Munster fourteen. Really good, high octane interpro in Belfast, and we'll focus on Munster or or on Ulster to to start with because the the nature of the comeback and it was. It was really interesting a week on from them blowing a 17-point lead down in Connacht. You might have thought heads were going to drop a little bit, but to to come back up and trail 14-3 against the defending champions showed an enormous amount of of heart and guts to, to get themselves back into it. But as I said, like with your column yesterday on RT.ie, just went into the details of how... A lot of the times it's just nailing the simple stuff and getting the basics right. And if you look back on the way they brought themselves back into the game uh, last Friday night, it was the simple stuff. It was they got their set piece in order. They they disrupted Munster's line out. They started to to win the battle on the ground at the breakdown where Dave McCann was absolutely brilliant. And bit by bit, all of those basics added up. And it gets to the point where you get opportunities off the tee, you get opportunities to go into the corner and attack. And lo and behold, they come away. And by the time the full-time whistle goes, even though Munster had a chance to to level it up and were probably a couple of inches away, you'd have to say Ulster were resounding and thoroughly deserved winners. Yeah, I think they were deserved winners. But like I think it was, it was a disappointing enough game for me. Like I know there was a lot of action. Um not the game itself, but maybe the attack structures. I just didn't think the game opened up massively, you know. So like when I was watching, I was like, what's you know, we had a couple of tries early on, which kind of lures you into a false sense of it being a good game. And then the, it was it was a battle, to be fair. You know, they did cancel each other out in, in some senses. The the battle of that breakdown, I think, was the was the big story um, and disrupting set piece. And, you know, Munster started well in the set piece. They finished poorly in the set piece and probably the other the other way around for Ulster. Um, but yeah, I just didn't think the game opened up massively, probably because they attacked the breakdown so much. And like, at one stage, I was looking at it going, the ball's in the rock here for five or six seconds. And like, we know from from the World Cup that, you know, all we're looking at at the moment is uh, is breakdown speed and who's playing with the fastest ball because they're going to do the most damage. And we've been looking at Leinster like that for quite a while um, and Ireland as well. So, like, it, when I was kind of watching the game, I don't normally watch a game and go, oh, two-second rucks and four-second rucks, but it was just noticeable that the ball was slowing down. But that will tell you the approach from, definitely from Ulster, but from both teams, obviously, your, your aim is to slow the other team down. But like you said there, I think we were expecting a, a big reaction from Ulster throwing away a lead in Connacht and uh, and getting back at home to to you know right those wrongs in a sense, but it, it it was delayed coming, wasn't it? Like they they probably had a poor 40, 40 minutes or so with the the first twenty in this game, and then they kind of clawed their way back into it a small bit before kind of um, reaching their real pitch by the end of uh, maybe the third quarter in in the monster match. They they really kind of uh, had their dominance, like you know. So, but from from Munster's perspective, it was it was so disappointing, like going fourteen three up and then not scoring for an hour of rugby. Um considering the last play of the game as well where they backed themselves in the twenty two, they've got a they've got a really um you know confident and uh coordinated twenty two meter attack to not get over the line at the end. I think they'd be 
they'd be pretty disappointed with themselves. But there's so much within the game that you said there, you know, the, the scrum was a monster, four penalties in a row. Was it four penalties and an advantage or three penalties and one scrum advantage? Um, I think so, it was three and one. Yeah, three and one. So, like, now you're talking about yellow card territory there as well. It didn't happen. But um, obviously, Craig Casey scored on the on the fourth one on the advantage. Um, and he got his second try. You think they're in the driving seat, especially with set-piece dominance at that stage. They'll be very disappointed with themselves. And Graham Rountree's interview was telling enough at the end. Yeah, and um, to to stay on Ulster, um, not trying to not taking away anything from from Dan McFarland because he was one of the first to actually say this as well uh, about how much praise he was putting on the players themselves for how they got themselves out of such a tricky situation. Because granted, it was still it was 14, 14, 6, uh, no fourteen eight sorry fourteen eight when the the teams were coming in at half time, but. As McFarland said, the so much went wrong for them in those opening fifteen minutes, where they were coughing up penalties at the scrum. They were probably getting the wrong side of Frank Murphy at the at the breakdown as well, and they were you know they were giving monster opportunities to to attack. And as McFarland pointed out, by the time they even got in for the halftime talk where they were going to be addressing things, some of those things were starting were already being corrected on the pitch by the players. Uh, they were starting to 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 get back on side on uh, in terms of the set piece they were winning a couple of breakdown penalties as well themselves and they were disrupting monsters line out so uh, a lot of credit has to go to the players in that situation for being able to problem solve on the pitch and then obviously you give the the coaches credit as well for being able to tweak other things at half time you can give them credit for the the way they introduced the the replacements in the second half that got players on nice and early but an enormous amount of credit does have to go to the players out on the pitch for being able to figure out what was going wrong and also address the problems and get them right in the moment. Yeah, I, I think like the, the credit goes to both because the coaches obviously have that vehicle where players are confident enough to, or maybe they have the information that they they find small cues on what's going wrong and how do we fix it. So there's a lot of understanding between both there, I think. But obviously, like that's a dream situation as a coach where your players are starting to fix it for you and you don't need to go and... Uh, rattle a few people to to get those changes like you know so going in a half time in those kind of games where you have felt already that the team are getting a handle on changing those things I, I think you're then just reinforcing what they've done and why it's been good you know so you're going in a half time with a with a very positive message even though they were behind but that's possibly why we saw them come on and uh, come back out in the second half and kick on and obviously they made their substitutions handy when you have an international or two to come on and then uh, Scott Wilson was that his, uh, was that his debut? Yeah, I was going to mention him in a couple of minutes. Like twenty-one years old, um, they were in a bit of a tight head crisis at the moment. When you consider Marty Moore is still coming back from his ACL, it was good to see him. By the way, he was taking a part in the warm up before the game, so you'd have to think he's he's probably not too far away from being able to get back out in the pitch, which which was great. Tom O'Toole also injured at the moment. Uh, James French was out with uh, was out with concussion. So you've young Scotty Wilson brought up just twenty-one years of age his Ulster debut in a in a big derby against Munster. And it was a pressure game as well, coming in off the back of that defeat. It wasn't maybe, you know, the way we see a lot of these debuts in around some of the Christmas fixtures where an Ulster or a Munster or a Leinster or a Connacht or whoever, they might have won their, their home fixture a few days beforehand. And for the, the next away game, they might ring a few changes where the, the result necessarily isn't going to make or break a season. If Ulster lost at the weekend, they were probably... In a in not so much in in real trouble, but you know their season was 
in danger of kind of going off the rails a, a little bit. And, yeah, I, I think, and I think as well, bringing him on when they did, it wasn't just bringing him on for the last 10, 15 minutes. There was half an hour to go when he yeah. came on. Ulster were behind at that stage as well. And I'm sure if you were, if you were, who was on at that stage, it was either Jeremy Lockman or, or Josh Richerley at Loosehead for Munster. You're licking your list, lips at the prospect of uh, a 21-year-old coming on for his debut in the final half an hour of a, of a really, really tight interpro. But he was yeah. fantastic. Uh, part of an Ulster scrum that picked up a couple of couple of penalties, had an absolutely brilliant uh, run at one point uh, up the centre of the pitch and just looked really, really polished. Yeah, I, I think you, you wouldn't lick your lips at a, uh, at a fella that size coming onto the pitch. But I know you're, you're dead right. But he's a big boy. And it, like he um, he definitely made a good account of himself. But what you're saying there in terms of the pressure being on, I think when the pressure is on a team, the pressure is nearly off someone like Scott Wilson coming on on the pitch like that because you know the the outcome is going to be dependent on a lot more than him. You know now it's it's a position where if you come on and make a couple of mistakes, you know if you have a couple of scrum penalties on top of what they've already had, then yeah, the line mates on you, and that's that's a that's a pressured situation. So I'm not trying to take away from it by any means, um, but you know he's coming onto a game where they're down. There was three uh, scrum penalties in the first oh, in the opening quarter, soon to be a fourth one, but they didn't need it. Uh, so he's coming on being like it can't really get much worse in my position I'm going to have a crack off this you know so like it's uh, it's a definitely a kind of a liberating um, game for him to come on in but he definitely made his mark on the game he had that uh, tip on past me and Henderson and he he went uh, he had a little line break where Archie uh, thought the ball was out and um, gave away the penalty so he had, he had one big impact there and obviously the scrum um, you know what's going on in the scrum anyway but like there's a you know the loose set side got up but obviously he's holding his side of the scrum as well and uh, and Nick Timoney was practically falling over the line for a handy enough try. I would say handy enough try. That's a very hard skill, controlling the ball uh, and and make sure you don't mess it up. But uh, mm-hmm. just to, so I, I think he did really well. But to go back to you know just before half time, I think you know it's possibly small but dramatic in terms of like oh the players fixed it and um they they had to learn so much on the spot because they actually had, I think it was a two scoring opportunities each really like you know maybe maybe more than that but like they scored a penalty that was possibly a try. It was Simbin for Shane Daly. Uh, Eden McElroy kind of uh, falling slash being hit going over the line so like a couple of steps left or right from from Jack Crowley and that's a penalty try you know so that's another score and then they scored a, a, a proper uh, try from from a lot of good attacking kicks which the conversion was missed on so like their their return in terms of points didn't really reflect uh, what they actually had in terms of attack you know could easily have been 14 all going in a half time you know so they weren't that bad but like they did kind of have a run against them where the opening quarter they couldn't touch it and then after that they did get themselves back into the game to tee up the third quarter obviously made some good substitutions and then had a had a rattle off it but Munster like you know if Munster got over at the end of the day it's 21 all and you know we're not really talking about uh, Ulster's uh, dominance or, or Munster's lack of dominance I think they'd have been disappointed in the performance but it wouldn't been in the limelight as much like if you know what I mean but is it it's is that not part of us? Like what you're saying, if if Munster get over and score, we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about this this brilliant Ulster win. But isn't that the point in a way as well? Where last season and the season before, they had a habit of really falling away late on in games, and you know, the, like the, there is a lot to be said for actually holding out and doing it, holding oh, yeah. a player up like Josh Richerley over the line, Rob Herring coming up with that massive turnover to to seal the win. Like it, it is those small moments at the end of the day that can completely change a change a team's mindset. 
it is to be fair like you do have to give them the credit for holding on and 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 kind of being uh they were just really competitive at the breakdown <laughs> like i think the, the breakdown was so hard to call there was so many illegal actions and there was some called or some weren't called but it's a really hard thing to referee at the moment like short mccluskey must be a pain to referee you could see frank murphy and himself having a conversation at one stage and uh frank frank pinged him and he's kind of going, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, so it's a, it was a very funny one. Uh, Dave McCann as well, you know, Ruck was formed and he kind of poached over the top of it, obviously illegal, but they were, I, I kind of find the one funny where people are counter-rucking square and then they shift around and they kind of yeah. do get around the side. That's the one that's frustrating me at the moment because there was one or two of those. Um, Ireland, Ireland get away with that a lot. They do, yeah. Kaelin yeah. uh, Dar- Doris gets away with a bit. I think he's, I think I've said it on this podcast before, he's ferocious in the, in the breakdown but he does like Leinster do that the Leinster players in the Ireland team I suppose is what I'm saying do it where they, they hit square-ish or they might hit on the outside shoulder and crab around it to a degree yeah, and kind of swivel their backside around yeah yeah and then it's the same as the Dan Coles one in the Ireland game where he got away with it as well it was I think a different infringement where he uh, engaged like that swung around and then put a boot on the ball you're obviously not allowed to kick the ball but you're allowed to hook it back so he was trying to get their heel over the ball and, and disrupt it coming backwards. I just don't think it's a very positive action in the breakdown, but obviously you have to allow a contest. And if it's legal, it's legal. But uh, So they're allowed to do it. But like the one where they're crabbing around, it's definitely a hard one to referee because they are engaging square or square-ish and then they're deciding to um, blur the lines in terms of what their actual entry is like. Um, One more point on Ulster. Well, no, sorry, a couple actually. One on the, the coaching. And I probably took away a little bit of credit for what they were doing in game. What I will mention though is the the reaction from Dan McFarland and the Ulster coaches in between the Connacht's defeat and the the win against Munster. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it as a as a coach now as well. Where I I do like I was at the sports ground last week as well for their loss to Connacht, and I did walk out of there that night, um, a little bit struck by how. I'm gonna say how well Dan McFarland took it, but but how relaxed he was after that Connacht of uh, Connacht defeat. Where I've seen him in the past, I've seen him lots of times after similar defeats like that, and uh, he hasn't been pleased. Where he's been very very critical of his own team, and I walked out of the sports ground that night thinking that he was a man, and I wrote it as well that he was a man that had actually taken a lot of positives out of that Connacht game, regardless of the score. And I was I had that thought with me all week going along. Uh, going along to the game in, in Belfast on Friday night and you can probably see the fruits of it in the way they reacted against Munster where heads never dropped at any point players looked really really motivated regardless of what stage it was and there's a lot to be said for just the picking out picking out the moments and probably picking the right time to to give the lads a kick up the backside or to give them a pat on the back and, and pick out the positives but it's uh, it's very early in the year, and like I think as a coach, you do have to try and have a bit more of an even keel. You're looking at an overall picture. Like players can be really frustrated with one or two moments, but as a coach, you're trying not to be that because it's it's an overall picture, like isn't it? And if you get too frustrated in one or two moments, which we've all done as coaches at various levels, obviously, but like you know, you do have to try and be bigger than that. And when you go up by seventeen points away from home, like you're going to have to take positives from that. Obviously, there's you then look at what are the easy fixes and why did they come back at us? Like there's some easy fixes within that. We're not terrible, you know? So like um, similar to, to the weekend, I think the stats show that they had nine clean line breaks versus Munster's one. So if Munster had gotten over the line, they'd be looking back at what happened in the game a lot happier than what Munster would have been. Because um, you're saying to give them credit, you, you should give them credit. They won the, the meters gain on the, on the gain line and the tackle line. 
Uh, I think it was like 370 metres versus 200 nod to Munster. Uh, they won the penalty count. They won the clean line breaks. So regardless of the result, as a coach, I think you have to look into what's actually happening. How many opportunities did you create? Munster's line break uh, was probably Rory Scannell's one, if the stats line up, uh, where Gavin Coombs popped the ball off to him in the last play of the game, roughly, wasn't it? So uh, it took him that long to break Ulster, even though the score was 21-14 and could have ended up 21-all. Uh, but you have to look back at what you're actually doing in-game. And that's where a coach is trying to separate themselves from you know, a scoreline, what the media might be saying about you and how you're playing. You're the only ones really within that bubble that know how you're really playing. Did you execute the things you set out to execute, et cetera? Like, you know, so um, in fairness, you know that, like you said, it will have a knock-on effect into his team. Maybe there's no frustration creeping in because of how he managed himself and how he managed a group going into it. Maybe that's the week you show the positives and you get them back against Munster. Another week, you might fly off the handle a small bit more because you think you should convert better or you think you've been there before, you've had these conversations already and you need to go with more of a stick than a carriage. And also, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, and with experience in coaching, I don't have as much as him, so he, he can tell me what he was doing. But, uh, you know, with experience, you, you try to separate yourself from one or two things as well and, and have a bit more of an even keel. Last last point on Ulster. Um, I just felt I had to mention David McCann's performance. He's a player who has been quite good for the first three rounds of the URC. And I think against Munster just brought it up three or four more notches. Uh, An absolute, just like a complete performance from a back row player. It was really good. I think he was uh, an absolute pain in the breakdown. He was a pain in Scott Buckley's side when he came on in the line-out. He turned over a couple there. He was really effective. And I think on the commentary, they were talking about his tackle stats, weren't they? Um, How high they were for three games and it wasn't even full three games but um, geez Ireland should produce more back row shouldn't they we don't have enough of them It's uh, yeah I did see I did see someone making a joke that after that performance now Dave McCann has has put himself right up into the top 50 Irish back rows and <laughs> like I, it's it's a complete joke he's obviously he's he's right up there in terms of like you know knocking on the door for international selection but that was just the that was, that was the joke but there is just I mean anytime like it must be a nightmare being one of those younger back rows who are a little bit out on the fringes where you've got players like Josh van der Fleer, Peter Romani, Caelan Doris, uh, Jack Conan ahead of you. And you're kind of thinking there, like, I mean, what more do I have to do? Scott Penny is another example. Another try at the weekend has been captaining Leinster or has captained Leinster for three of their four four games this season. Like, there's just the the depth and level of talent that there is at back row across six, seven and eight is just mind-blowing at the moment. Straight, but even if you look at Nick Timoney that he's playing alongside, and yeah. uh, and Gavin Coombs, and then all of a sudden Brian Gleeson's coming into that. Alex Kendellan's already been in that. Like you're talking about high level back rows. I know Alex didn't probably have his best game at the weekend, but you're talking about a lot of high level back rows, and they can't really see the pathway at the moment. Scott Penny is probably the the greatest example of that. Like what more can he do in a Leinster jersey? He's competing directly with those players as well. He gets shoved out most European games. Uh, for um, the Irish back row and it's just it must be really frustrating but David McCann's timing coming into another couple of rounds of URC into European games if he can have big European big European games um, all of a sudden your your Six Nations squad has been selected like you know so I think he's his timing is impeccable at a, at a time where it's not that anyone's looking for major change but if there's someone popping their head up you know it's the time to make that change and, and all of a sudden you're in a a a Six Nations squad and like we've seen in the last cycle of World Cups which is just it, it 
I can't really talk about a cycle of a World Cup at the moment. But if you look at, you know, the selection is consistent and whoever's in a system gets back into a system. And the later that goes within the four years, there's no one new coming in. So, like, getting in at the start of that would be no harm at all for someone like David McCann. Yeah. To to move it on to Munster, like you kind of mentioned earlier on, uh, we were talking about Dan McFarlane picking out the positives from the game against Connacht and how it was probably a little bit more carrot than stick uh, between those two fixtures. Going off what Graham Rowntree was saying after the game on Friday night, both on TV and when we were speaking to him afterwards, um, I I get the feeling there's going to be a lot more stick than carrot down in Limerick used this week. I think so. I I think he's probably right, and like the, the the reasoning why that's different is because you're you're ahead in the set piece, you're ahead away from home, um, and you just leave them back into the game. Like I think that's the really frustrating thing. Whereas Ulster might have solved some problems. Munster let them, you know, they were they were in control of the game. When you're in control of the game and the set piece, you know, you're wondering as a coach, how have we let that one go? How have we not scored for 60 minutes? How do we not create an opportunity within 60 minutes to to get over the line? And I think sometimes as well, like I said, when you know you've given them enough detail, clarity, um, opportunities, and, you know, you kind of just play out a bit of a statement. Maybe letting opposite numbers get the better of you as well at, at times. Like maybe some of those things will will be heavily frustrating, like, you know, so there's obviously something within uh, Graham Roundtree's mind that he doesn't like uh, whatever battle they went into. But I think, like I said in the in my column, you know, you're, you're talking about the basics of the game, scrum, line out and uh, and breakdown. They didn't sort their own their own breakdown. I know uh, Mike Prendergast is big on breakdown and ruck speed and how that affects your attacking structures. Um, that's probably something that's really going to, that that causes all that self reflection, doesn't it? And you're going into the week being like, what what have we done? You know, how do I fix this within another week before we play the Stormers and go back at home? Whereas Ulster were going up at home to try and get redemption from the Connacht game. Munster are going to Tom and Park, where there's a lot of expectation, and there's a Stormers team coming that don't particularly like them, I'd imagine. Um, so there's a there's a lot on the line for uh, Munster to turn around this week. Obviously, there are small changes. I don't think there's going to be mass change during the week, but like there is a small bit of pressure on that one. Eh? Yeah, it's just like it, and it was funny. Like we asked Roundtree, like you know, what were the where were the areas Ulster got on top of you? And he he basically just listed out every area there is in the game, like you know, set piece at the breakdown in defence and attack, you know, yada yada yada. Um, but like you mentioned, the Stormers coming up this week and Munster in a spot now where like there's a, a, bit, a run of tough games in a row. Uh, like you had Ulster. Uh, Stormers this weekend, Leinster next week, Glasgow the week after. Then you're into Champions Cup, and then you're into the Christmas Interpros as well. So right up to January, it's pretty much one tough game after another. So they don't really have the opportunity to take the foot off the pedal at all. But one of the one of the things that came up yesterday when we were doing our our monster meet monster media call with with Dennis Leamy was, um, coming back round to what the South African teams have brought to the URC and isn't it great that we're here where we've got a Munster and Stormers game coming up this weekend and we're talking about how like there's a nice little bit of a rivalry developing between these two sides where Munster have actually beaten the Stormers the three times they've played, beat them in South Africa twice last year. It's a repeat of the final and granted the Stormers aren't going to have their Springbok World Cup players. They've still got a very, very competitive squad down in Limerick and it feels like in as the, the competition as a whole, we'll get to Edinburgh and Connacht shortly where a couple of years ago that might have felt like a bit of a dud game on paper but it was an absolute cracker on Saturday night and week on week Leinster and or Munster and Stormers as an example this week it feels like at least there are at least one or two games on that on that fixtures list every week 
that look like they mean something, mean something big, and that they are going to be good occasions and good matches, which is just good for the league as a whole. I think it is good for the league as a whole, but like you know, unfortunately, I think Glasgow are great sides. Edinburgh getting a win over Connacht like that, they're a good side, and Ben Healy. It's another conversation, but you're you're adding a lot of interest uh, to the Scottish teams there as well. Uh, the Welsh teams are probably where you know some of this can fall short at times. At the moment, it's not really uh, great for for Welsh regions, but um, you're right. Like adding the South African sides, I think it's been genius. Like what, whatever we thought about it, I don't know if I was ever that negative about it. I think it's been I think it's been brilliant because at the time I think we were talking about it being better for Ireland's uh, outlook on on how to play against South African sides. I think it's added a different dynamic to the whole league, you know, because they do play a different physical game. But actually, when you have that whole narrative around South Africans physical rugby, if you watch their club teams, they play a ferocious brand of rugby. Like they mm. throw the ball around, they have some spark in in uh, in attack. You saw that in the uh, Monster Sharks game in Europe last year, wasn't it? When it was breaking away and scoring tries on transition. Like so, they've added a serious amount to the league. And then when you look through the fixtures, there's always something that's going to catch your eye in the week. Like you know, so it's a uh, you're right, and the Stormers going to Tommy Park. Yeah, they won't have their... Well, I'm not sure. I don't think they have their South African contingent today, but they'd still have... Uh, they don't have their of... World Cup winners, but like they still have, you know, they still have South African internationals there, like Joseph Dweba, Evan Roos. Like, there's there, there's quality players in there. Yeah, there are quality players, and they've always quality backs that are, you mm-hmm. know, like I said, exciting. But they're probably the next crop of South African players. You know, when you look at the next uh, World Cup, there'll be a lot of people within those... Uh, in those squads that will be making the jump up or at least expected to, so they're they're either internationals with caps gone back or they're they're going to be the next crop of them coming through. So I think that'll be a that'll be a huge one in Tom and Park on Saturday night. Uh, there's two bits of monster news that have come up in the last week. Uh, firstly, a player that looks like at the very least he's coming in anyway is going to be Ali Yeager from the Crusaders, someone that Monster have tried to sign a few times. We've asked Monster coaches about it in the last few days and. They've said so little about it and been so evasive about it. It's almost as if they've been saying, yes, we are signing him. And it does seem like it's going to be happening sooner rather than later. And it's a, an immediate move rather than something in the summer. Um, Your own thoughts, what you've what you've seen of him, what Munster need. Do you think it's a is it a, a piece that fit, fits the jigsaw nicely? Not, the, fi- not yeah. the final piece in the jigsaw, but I might say, but just like it's a piece that fits in nicely. Yeah, it fits in very nicely because, you know, Stephen Archer, I don't know how many, is he in his last year? I, I'm not sure what his story not is. Offici- not officially, but I think it's kind of reading between that he's all, all going to plan. He's probably going to break Munster's appearance record against Leinster next week uh, yeah. if he does play this weekend and next week. So there's, it's it's very likely, I'd say, that it's uh, it's probably going to be his last season. I'm not sure what his contract situation was. I think that's the last year in his contract. But yeah. Um, and then, you know, you've had one or two projects around Munster's tight head situation and I don't think you're winning a, a Heineken Cup with that, you know. So, like, I think from their perspective, I think it is definitely an important piece in the jigsaw and at a very good time. Obviously, he's been left out of the Crusaders squad. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think his age profile... Obviously, there's there's conversations around why he's not playing with the All Blacks. So, Scott Robertson going in there, he's been his coach. He's got seven Super Rugby titles, has he? Uh, six or seven, or he's been involved in a good few of those anyway. So there's conversations around why has he not stepped up in terms of uh, his All Blacks um, credentials, but I don't think anyone in Munster is going to care about that. He's seasoned at this stage. He's uh, He's got a lot of winning mentality. He's going to bring a different view on the game. I think a lot of things, uh, a lot of things add up in terms of him going, him going to Irish rugby in general, but Munster, um, with our Munster hats on, um, I'm sure it's 
after seeing the scrum at the weekend, it couldn't be better timing for that news to break, really. But I think we're still reading in between the lines. Are we? I thought I saw a quote from John Ryan saying he will add a lot. And I was like, oh, I hope he's got caught in the media to say something like that or else he knows something from being down under. Um, But it was kind of a, a telltale sign that he's coming to Munster. I'm not sure who that actually went away from a quote. But uh, yeah, I think it'd be a great signing for Munster. I think they could definitely do with it as well. Yeah, it's probably no, it's not a silver bullet for success, but it's uh, it's something to to keep them building and just add that bit of depth. And the other bit, obviously, was the the unfortunate news for Andrew Conway having to having to retire the age just thirty two years old. And I think we had we had all thought after missing out on I think it was about fourteen sixteen months with that knee injury that he came back in the opening game, scored a try, and everything was great again, and he was going to be pushing to get back into the Ireland squad, but. Unfortunately, that knee injury just uh just recurred, and it was it was so sad really to see him have to have to retire early uh last week, and uh came out of the blue as I said, even though he was someone that had been out for a long time, and I know you've been in that that situation yourself, having to having to retire before you would have wanted to, but um a tough blow for Munster and Irish rugby, but also just for a a quality player and someone who having had you know minor enough dealings with him. Uh, through the media and stuff always seemed like just a, a pretty good fella he's a great guy and I think um, like you said there it caught me off guard as well I text him saying it caught me off guard because I I, I knew it was kind of uh, I didn't know in depth what it was a situation but he's obviously out for quite a while he kept mentioning this knee injury and then he came back and then he was back out with a knee injury so obviously there's red flags there he's obviously giving something a go and it hasn't worked out which is a quite a similar situation to me in terms of like people might be looking on me like but he only played a game a couple of weeks back or whenever it was um, but sometimes the injury is just not, I don't know what his, what his um, story is now, but sometimes you have an injury there where you can do certain bits and pieces or you can play a game, but you're not going to be able to train all week, play a game and go back to back to back and, and have the um, the ability to do that through, like you said, three tough games coming up, then you're up, then you're into the Interpros at Christmas time. And for him, he'd be looking to get into the Six Nations squad again. So I'm not sure what the details are of the, of the situation, but obviously it's not, um, his knee is not in a place where he can, play professional rugby anymore which is it's devastating like he's in the peak of his powers I know he's 32 people think that you're falling off the other side of a cliff at that stage he's in the peak of his confidence his professionalism his preparation and Andrew Conway is a guy that came down from Leinster and I would have known about him at school's level he was I didn't realize he was my year because he was so good he was always a a year or two ahead of me uh, in terms of his development at least um and uh there was um so he's always on my radar and then he was this Leinster superstar so he came down to Munster and I was thinking you know uh D4 had a, an opinion of himself and he couldn't have been a nicer guy you know so I think it was a complete um poor judgment on, on my part at least but I was kind of going this is a an unbelievable player to come down to Munster and I remember being taken aback by uh him under a bench press lifting 140 kilos in the preseason testing and I was like how has a fella like that just lifted 140 kilos like it was nothing like, you know, and it, it kind of gave me um, uh, a bit of a more realistic, um, a bit of reality check maybe that guys are strong. Fellas like him, he might look like a jinky winger. He will push you away. He'll, he'll beat you in contact. But I think it was, as well, it was his attitude. Like, it, you know, a superstar coming in from Leinster is very easy to get a chip in your shoulder. System went against you, but he actually just put his shoulder to the wheel, uh, reinvented himself. Then he got, kind of uh, passed out by sweets Darren Sweetenham and he had to reinvent yeah like it took him it did it took him a couple of years to to fully settle in as a as a key member of the team yeah but that's why I'm so impressed by him like I remember having conversations with him uh, this was when podcasts weren't uh, that 
um, in the weren't everyday thing. And he was talking about the Tim Ferriss podcast and different bits and pieces he picks up from it. And I remember starting to listen to that because of him. He was all into like self-improvement. And that was a big thing that I noticed first. And uh, while I was injured, then I would have had conversations with him around some stuff like that. But like I said, it, it was how he kept reinventing himself, how he kept working harder when he got uh, setbacks and Sweets beat him into the Irish squad. Uh, Sweets came back and didn't get back into the Munster squad because Andrew Conway had such a good reaction, you know. So like, and then if you look at his stats, like fifty tries, hundred fifty Munster appearances, fifteen tries and thirty Irish appearances, that's some strike rate. Like, mm. you know, he's an absolute poacher. But it's because he does his work. He knows what's coming up. He can see the situations. He his preparation was unbelievable. So like, uh, it's devastating. Like like I said when I texted him, I I actually said something along the lines of, absolutely caught me off guard. And my respect from. Before he came was huge, but my respect from when I got to know him was even higher. Like it, he's such a good guy. It's um, it's it's poor news for Munster because of losing Earlsy as well in the same season, and it's happening all of a sudden. But it's just terrible news for him. I'm I'm sorry to see it happen. Yeah, and very best luck to him with uh whatever uh whatever he has coming up ahead of him after after rugby. Moving on to to Connacht, beaten twenty five twenty two by by Edinburgh away a Ben Healy drop goal with the last play of the game, um. It it's a game, Johnny. I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to get a read on on what this is for Connacht. Whether it's a a decent bonus point picked up away from home, or is it a bad defeat? Because on one hand, you look at it and you say, okay, they never they never led in the game. They were pretty much chasing. I know they were level a couple of times, but in essentially they were kind of chasing it the whole way through, and they managed to get a losing bonus point out of it away from home. Whereas maybe a year or two ago they could have lost that game by 30 or 40 points. Then on the flip side, you look back and think that Edinburgh had to do so much to just win by three points against Connacht. And you look at the last Edinburgh try that was allowed where the the Connacht players just switched off. It was a penalty under the post with 15 minutes to go. Edinburgh were, were narrowly ahead at the time and they, they just left, you know, they assumed Edinburgh were going to take a shot at goal. Defenders started walking in towards the post, left a massive, overlap outside and Ben Velikos took a quick tap, swung it out to Mark Bennett on the wing and they score a try and you look back at, at that and you just go, oh god, in a way it feels like they blew it. How are you How are you squaring this this result from a comic point of view? Oh, I think like when you when you set up your, your year on paper, you'd be kind of looking at sometimes, I don't do this a lot, but like I know people I've dealt with in the past are very good at it, kind of going, I think you'll pick up your four there, you you definitely look for at least a bonus, a losing bonus point here, I think you can, you can have a crack off that one, and I think when you when you do that, you're thinking Edinburgh away is going to be tough, but like for Connacht you know, a lot of levelers in it, they play on a, a 4G synthetic pitch so do Connacht, you know, you're kind of used to that you shouldn't be getting caught off guard with a bounce of a ball or a, a quickness of the game or tackling not being up to scratch because you know that's what you get on a on a synthetic pitch. People don't want to go to deck as much as you think they might. Uh, so you don't put your shoulder into the tackle as much. Maybe uh, you're hoping someone goes to deck. But like I think, you know, when you actually look at the game and what they've done, there, there, there's a lot of coach killers in there in terms of like you know Pete Wilkins in the in the media afterwards. I only heard a snippet of it. But if you're thinking about someone who's going to have a go off a player or two, maybe you're talking about someone like that away from home, putting yourself in a decent position and then switching off like that, like assuming they're going to go at the post. I know what happens, but like it doesn't happen to you. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't want it to happen to you because it's uh, they haven't worked for it. A bit of quick thought, fair enough, but like they haven't worked enough to get that try. You've stopped them, given away a penalty. They, they'll take three and you, you'll back yourself on a quick pitch like that to get another opportunity to go ahead. Like, you know, so... I think that's going to be a really frustrating one. And then um, to get the try through Key and Prendergast was a 22-all. Um, and put yourself back in a situation where 
as a team, you go, right, we score, momentum's with us, get back, get the kickoff, either get out of your half or have a run off it. And, uh, you know, they dropped the restart at 77 minutes and then they managed to hold them up in the mall at 79 minutes. You can have one more crack off it if you want to. And unfortunately, the pass to JJ was along the ground. So he had to rush and exit. Uh, only kicked it to the 22, which none of his fault, um, which gave them one more entry to get that score. Like they had a penalty advantage if Ben Healy didn't even kick it. So like, you know, in one sense, they're lucky to get away with the bonus point. Uh, but I think a lot of things within their control that they'd be really frustrated about. Yeah. And you said there, like, you know, people who've been great at mapping out games down the line of, of what you think you should be getting. Um, the fact that they won their first three games at home had gave them a little bit of wiggle room results wise for the three away games they had coming up. They've picked up one bonus point from the Edinburgh game and now they're heading to South Africa. Uh, good news is they got Finley Bealham back. Bad news is they lost Jack Anger. Bundyaki and Mac Hansen have stayed at home as well to, to nurse some injuries. So they're in South Africa with minus a couple of key players. Two big games against the Sharks this week and the Bulls next weekend. And what is what is a decent return, in your opinion, from, from these next two games, Connacht-wise? What's what's the min? What's the min? What's the minimum? I think if you're a Connacht, you're looking for five points because I think they're five, five five points across the two games. Yeah, so yeah. like I think you either beat the Sharks with a bonus point. You don't really say that very very likely because Sharks aren't going very well, but like they're going home. Um, so I don't think that's going to be as easy as what I've just said. But like if you can get a win there and a bonus point in the next game, as in a, a high scoring. A game with four tries or if you can get close enough to it that you put in a performance and get a losing bonus point I like obviously when you're in the situation you don't want to give up any game but I think if you're the coach stepping back from this you're going five points out of this would be a decent return uh, because I think was it last year definitely the first year uh, where South African teams were involved you couldn't get a win over there and then all of a sudden towards the end of last year teams started turning them over and getting wins so I think it is becoming a bit more realistic you're getting used to the travel um, you know different uh, conditions that you're playing and, and all that kind of stuff so I think there's um the reality is you're going to be going over there with expectations and with the Sharks bottom of the table, Bulls top of the table, maybe splitting the difference and going with a five points out of ten. We we I think I think Connacht will take that, but they're going over with you know I think JJ has brought so much into that team as in a lot of experience. Uh, if anything happens to Jack Carty or if they go full selection and go with JJ as well, or maybe both of them, I don't know how they'll do it. Uh, but uh, Cottle Ford in there as well. You've got a lot of players like I think they've got such a good squad. To be able Joe, to Joe Joyce has been an excellent addition as well. Like there's good depth. They they've built a, some nice depth in there this year. That's it. Like you might think of Connacht in different years and go, oh, going over to South Africa, they'll be beaten up. They shouldn't be beaten up at all. I think they like the belief within that group. I know, yeah, they've got three home games. Was that a reaction to the the pitch being built the year before? I'm not sure if they were old. It was. Or... Yeah, they were. They 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 had to kind of give up a give up a home game last year. So they they did they had a. A run, I suppose, at the start of the year where, yeah, three three wins on the trot probably doesn't always happen for Connacht. And I think I saw a stat that if they'd won the fourth game, it was the first time since 2002, was it? So that they won the yeah. first four games of, of the league. So I can tell you that they're in a really good spot. I know there's home games thrown in there, but I think within that group, there's going to be a lot of belief and they're going to be going over to South Africa with a huge amount of expectation. I don't think they're going over there thinking we'll have a crack at these two South African teams and if we can get home with two losing bonus points or you know, two losing bonus points and four tries each, you know, that wouldn't be actually the end of the world with four points coming away from there, but they'll want more than that. You know, definitely they'll want more than that and stay within the kind of top of that table. Because if you look at uh, the Irish teams at the moment, they're within the top seven. If Munster lose at the weekend, all of a sudden they're dropping out. Uh, Connacht will be in a sim- similar situation where they don't want 
a run of games uh, pre-Europe and all of a sudden they're under pressure, maybe five games on the trot, is it? And uh, and you're you're starting to get banged up and bruised, losing one or two players, and then you're facing into a really tough task of trying to get back into the top end of the table. So I think where they're at at the moment, they'd be targeting these games to stay up there because I think it's important for them as well. But they have the, the players and, and the squad to be able to do that. Yeah, so that's Comic Sharks is the, the first one up. That's live on RT2 and RT Player this Saturday afternoon. Um, last of the provinces, Leinster. I feel like we haven't actually been talking about them too much on the, the podcast in these early weeks because they've been uh, without so many players and have just been kind of going about the job without much of a fuss. They, like, I'd almost say it as a compliment they've been involved in, aside from maybe the first game against Glasgow, which was a cracker, but a few uneventful games in a good way where, you know, there have been good things, there have been bad things, and they've got the the bonus point win. Another one at the weekend, 30-10 winners against the Dragons in dreadful condi- well dreadful weather conditions the pitch was the pitch was cracking but dreadful weather conditions and it was it's always a game the dragons away where it's get in get your result and and get back out there's you know a season is, isn't going to be defined on how much you beat the dragons by away from home but i will flip it to jack nenaber coming in next week because that's when things are going to get interesting they're playing the scarlets this weekend but then they're into munster ahead of the champions cup nenaber is coming in the internationals are all going to be back and all of a sudden it feels like Leinster's Leinster season is really, really starting now as we hit mid-November. What I want to know, Johnny, is we're all really excited about what Jack Nienaber is going to do as a two-time World Cup winning coach. I mean, for, for Leinster to be able to bring in a coach of that to work alongside slash under Leo Cullen just, just speaks volumes for the, the draw they have. But in terms of what, what Nienaber is going to be doing this season, do you think it's going to be a case of minor tweaks and observe for a little while before fully putting his putting his foot down and trying to implement ideas? Or do you see him coming in on day one and trying to say, okay, from now on, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z? No, I think you'll have to build on the structures, won't he? Like, I don't think you can come in and change things around too much, but I can guarantee you he'll have his work done when he gets in. Like, he's not going to be going, right, where's my office? Where's my laptop? I can guarantee you he's got so many Leinster games on his he laptop. Hasn't been, he hasn't been on holidays for the last two weeks, is what you're going to say. Absolutely not. This way, I don't know, does he do holidays? Like, he's a... Uh, no, I don't think you... If you're going to start in season, you better have your work done or else you're not going to be able to have a handle on what you're doing when you come in. So if you don't have your work done, you're going to have to, have to observe things until Christmas, like, aren't you? So, like, uh, you might as well be on gardening leave. So I think he's going to have a lot of work done because as well, like you're making first impressions with a lot of these people. Yeah, his reputation might precede him, but like that's not good enough if you're going to continue to be a good coach. So like he's going to want to come in and make an impression. But from my limited dealings with him, my guess is that he'll come in and have so much work done that he'll impress people with how much he's seen, um, how much detail he can go through because that's what he's about anyway, isn't it? Uh, like that's what we know from the South Africa camp that the details they go through um, are, are top levels. So like he's going to come in and know everything about as many people as he can about their structures and I think um, the sooner he can start implementing things it will freshen things up I was actually interested with Dan Sheehan's captaincy at the weekend um, I just thought I was I was going to watch him back I, I watched the first half of it I thought it was fairly drab and uh, I went out to watch the second game uh, here in Cork but like I was kind of thinking and I had conversations at that game that I went to uh, it's just it's, they'll get their bonus point they'll get out of there it'll be 30 odd something and it'll be if you haven't watched that game you'll think Leinster just doing Leinster things but it was such a poor game in the first half with the weather conditions and everything else Um, you weren't really well you think they were going to get there but I thought it, it was a genius move to give 
someone like Dan Sheehan, still young, but coming away from a disappointing uh, World Cup and giving him something to really drive it on with, a captaincy, something to prove a point with. And I think he did that. Obviously, he's got a highlight reel there of uh, a turnover offload, running half the pitch to get back on the other end of a 1-2 with uh, Kieran Frawley. So, like, the energy he put into that game, maybe it's a genius stroke of making a guy like that captain and giving him something else to fight for, like, you know. Yeah, and based on the the few internationals that have come back in for Leinster, the the worry that there's going to be a big World Cup hangover, um, it's starting to subside a little bit. Players are looking pretty fresh, pretty determined, and pretty motivated. Yeah, and I think if you're a Leinster player, like you've got enough points to prove anyway. They've they've also been disappointed by their return in terms of silverware. So like, um. You're coming from one disappointment. You can't fix that World Cup disappointment too soon, unfortunately, but you can fix the Leinster one as a reaction. You know, So I think they've just been reminded that they're coming back to a team that has a lot of hunger. And they've also, I think the thing about Leinster is they've got so much talent as well and their squad is uh, so competitive and capable that if they come back in and drag their heels, they won't be in the next Irish squad because the next guy will be in ahead of them. You know, And that's how you lose your Irish place as fast as anything, come back into Leinster and don't perform because you've got the next... Irish player potentially in your position, like you know, particularly so if you're a back row. <laughs> yeah, particularly in the back row. So, like, I think they they have to come in and perform, but I think no better environment to come back into with a, a coach that you've just seen work miracles, not miracles to be fair, but work uh, a bit of magic in the World Cup. You're going to come back in and have a point to prove with a new coach, uh, players that have got massive opportunities when you're away. Um, so I think like yeah, they're going about their business, but um, not the greatest game ever to watch if you go back and watch the Dragons on. Yeah, and uh, they're taking on the Scarlets this week. That's the the late game on Saturday evening ahead of Leinster and Munster next week, which is going to be absolutely cracking at the Aviva Stadium. Johnny, before we go, um, coming up to the the one third mark of the the AIL season with Cork on, um, I'm going off results alone at the moment. I've between the World Cup and stuff, I've I've seen very little AIL. I was watching a bit of a uh, Terenure and uh, and Lansdowne on Saturday afternoon after our own match down in Lakelands but for yourselves four wins from five games second place on the table one defeat was away to away to Balnehinch but you've beaten like a good Lansdowne team who started the season well you went up to Lakelands and beat the defending champions and nilled them in their own in their own backyard back garden a third of the way through the season things going you don't want to get carried away at this stage of the season but things got moving along quite nicely yeah, I think it's a it's a good return. Like unfortunately, the Ballon Hinch game, we were behind for most of the game chasing it. We finally went ahead and we let them score in the last play. So like you know, for the five games, we have four wins that we're happy enough with, and one that we're disappointed with because we could have we could have ended up with five points that day, but we ended up with uh, two. You know, so it was uh, definitely disappointing. We left some points on the road, but the the league is so competitive. Like if you're looking at Clontarf, obviously five from five, we're four from five. And then you've got a lot of teams that are kind of three from five and beating each other, you know. So it, it's funny you you mentioned the AIL anytime Terry York get a big win and Dooley kicking a late winner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I think like like that now Terry York inflicted lands on second loss. Um, so all of a sudden teams are beating each other. It's just someone needs to go and beat Clontarf um, to to even even things up a small bit. But it's uh, no, it's been great. Like I think there's. Uh, the, the age in the league is, is coming down definitely you know and you got a lot of young players that you need to instill a bit of belief in and I think you know we're in a decent position now but the AL is funny because someone beats it to begin and all of a sudden you're uh, you're thinking geez what's happened like you know everyone can beat everyone you know and you know we, we've Trinity this weekend they haven't won yet but they're going to get one so you don't want to be uh, you don't want to tee yourself up for that either like you know and, and I don't know if Trinity ever been bottom of the league um, well they might have been but not in a long time uh, not when I've been 
coach in there so they're going to be massively dangerous so it's, it's just such an interesting league that it's so competitive week to week there's obviously different player availability different week uh, week to week as well um but it's hugely competitive and it's uh it's definitely a bit of a um a bit of a puzzle to solve from from week to week too you know yeah and what I actually what I do love about the the structure of it is the the way the fixtures snake so yeah. that you know you, you you come back you play your your first nine games but then you you kind of double back. So the team you play in round one is the team you play in round 18, but the team you play in round nine is the team you play in round 10. You have your sixth game this week, then it's a, it's a week break. And then you're back for another round of three. What's left in that, in that round of three as you head towards the, the snaking part of the season. Yeah, we have uh, Trinity around six and then we have a break and we've got Clantarf cookies and UCD in whatever order. I think Clantarf on the 2nd of December. So we've got, and then you, you reverse them, like you said. So like, you're um you review a game and it's nearly a preview for the next game because you yeah. reverse Christmas and there's a lot of uh you know it's all very fresh in your head so it's it's very interesting part of of um reversing it backwards but then the team that you played first you don't see them again for the rest of it you don't even you might come across some of their games when you're previewing but it could be a completely different team by the time you see them again like the teams in the first three rounds like obviously last year Terran Yor beat us and whacked us up there forty seven twelve and yeah and then you won you won what is it with the second last game of the season. Because it's the second last game of the season, you have so much time to really fix those things before you meet them again, and it's two completely different teams. Like you know, so it's a uh, it's definitely a very interesting league, but uh, the, the structure makes it so as well. But it's uh, oh, it's tough. It's tough work. Like three games on the trot. I know professional game, they're they're in there all day long, but like three with a week off, three three blocks of three with a week off in between them, uh, and then they're trying to squeeze cup games in and stuff as well around that. It's a uh, it's um it's a tough enough schedule this side of Christmas obviously after Christmas you get a, a small bit different because it's uh, Six Nations weeks and you have to take weeks off and stuff like that so it's not three threes but before Christmas and three threes it can be um, fairly daunting yeah well best of luck this weekend you've got Dublin University uh, and that brings you up to the one third mark of the season uh, a reminder Connacht away to the Sharks is live on RT2 and RT player this Saturday afternoon and we will be back here on the RT Rugby podcast this time next week Johnny thanks a million Very much.